2: This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. HUAC is history. The heyday of the House Un-American Activities Committee, of course, was the 1950s, but we're still concerned about government attacks on people and groups called un-American. And David Marinus has been thinking about that history. His father was called before HUAC in 1952 and then blacklisted from his job as a newspaper editor. David is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and associate editor at The Washington Post. He's also a distinguished visiting professor at Vanderbilt, and he's written 12 books, including best-selling biographies of Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. His new book is A Good American Family, The Red Scare and My Father. David Marinus, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. Great to be with you. So when your father was subpoenaed by HUAC in 1952, who was he? and how old were you?
3: My father was 34 years old. He was the chief rewrite man at the Detroit Times in Detroit, Michigan. He had come out to Michigan from his growing up in Coney Island in Brooklyn, New York, and went to the University of Michigan, and then went to Detroit to be a newspaper man interrupted by World War II. But in 1952, we were living in Detroit. I was not yet Conscious of my life, I was two, not quite three. I have no oh. memories of that okay. moment.
2: And who was the the rat, the stoolie, the fink who named your father? Well, she
3: was called, the, uh, among other things, the grandmother spy. Her name was Berenice Toby Baldwin. She was 49 years old and a grandmother, um, a working-class woman from Detroit who had been recruited by the FBI nine years earlier uh, during the war um, to become an informant uh... for the fbi in the michigan communist party she remained uh... there until nineteen fifty two when the house on american activities committee came to detroit she came in from the cold at those hearings she had been the secretary of the michigan communist party had hundreds of names of people who had been in the party over the course of her time there and she named all the names. My father was one of those.
2: And when and how did you find out that your father had been a member of that Communist Party? You
3: know, it was a shadow in our, in my, in our lives um, later. I, I knew that, that he'd been a member of the party. I knew that he'd been fired from jobs, but it was not something that he talked about. Um, he he'd sort of survived that period and moved on became a very successful progressive newspaper editor uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. And by the time I became politically conscious, it was something sort of in our past, a shadow of the family. And so I knew that, it, that that this had happened, but I didn't know any of the particulars. And, you know, I'd spent my adult career writing biographies of people who were strangers to me when I started and became very familiar to me. And throughout that process, I'd often say to people, when they'd ask, well, why did Barack Obama or Bill Clinton tell this particular story about his family that wasn't necessarily the right one? And I'd say, you know, we all hear the mythology from our parents and grandparents of our family story, but very rarely do we have a biographer coming behind us to find out what really happened. And I started thinking, well, I hadn't even done that with my own family, and that's what got me started on this project.
2: In doing research on your father's story, you went to the National Archives and looked up the HUAC files on him. What did you find? That was
3: probably the most emotional moment of my research, and it came very early on. The hearings in Detroit in March and February of 1952, there were transcripts of those hearings. They were public record, and in those hearings you could see in the transcript that my father said he had a statement he'd like to read about what he felt it meant to be an American. And the chairman of the committee, a a Southerner from Georgia, refused to let him read the statement. So I knew that he wanted to give a statement, and all of those decades later, in 2015, I went to the National Archives, there was a a large uh, file on those hearings in Detroit, and one folder that said, Elliot Marinus. And when I opened it, the first thing I saw was the statement that they would not let my father read.
2: Wow. And what did it say?
3: It was a very profound defense of not only his definition of what it meant to be an American, but of freedom of speech and of freedom of the press. And he was making the argument that it was the committee that was un-American, and that in the United States, there was never a, a movement to acquiesce to to decline our rights for freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And it was a very strong, powerful statement that that, uh, I found both moving on a personal level and very strong on on a larger, universal level.
2: You said the committee chairman who refused to let him read his statement was a southerner from Georgia. His name was John Stevens Wood. You also studied his life, and you found out he wasn't just a Southerner from Georgia. <laughs> no,
3: one of the one of the things I wanted to do in this book was to look at my father's experience through the, the lens of everyone who was in that room during that most traumatic period of his life. The chairman of the committee, John Stevens Wood, had once been a member of the Klan as a young man. Stunningly, I found that he had driven the car that carried the lynched body of Of Leo Frank, uh, a Jewish industrialist who'd been lynched by a mob in 1915 uh, in Marietta, Georgia. Um, The the mastermind of that lynching was essentially John Stevens Woods' mentor, and Woods drove the car that carried the lynched body. Uh, After that, uh, as a Southern racist, he he voted for every possible racist uh, piece of legislation and against any civil rights legislation. And he's the person who called my father, who had been very strong on civil rights and the commander of an all-black unit during World War II, called my father un-American. So the question is, what does it mean to be an American, and who decides who's American and who's un-American?
2: And your father's attorney has a very interesting story. Tell us about him. Yeah, my father's attorney was
3: an African-American lawyer from Detroit named George Crockett who later went on to become a congressman from Detroit. And he was of the left, but not a member of the Communist Party. But he felt very deeply um, that the civil liberties that should be afforded to someone for their political purposes uh, were very deeply connected to the civil liberties that were denied to African Americans. And so he thought it was all part of the same struggle to give to what might be called the other, whether it was a communist or a black or or an Eastern European immigrant, or a Native American. He believed deeply that all those civil liberties were closely connected, and so he was strong in the defense of my father, of people who were accused of being un-American for being communists, and of of course of uh, the rights of, of black people in America.
2: And there was another file you found. Military intelligence also interviewed people about your father uh, when the war began, including someone named Morton Mintz. That was a name that was familiar to you.
3: Yeah, it was. It was, uh, you know, uh, they investigated my father during World War II when he was seeking to become an officer, which he eventually became. But the military intelligence went back to the University of Michigan and interviewed um, professors, fellow students, landlords, everybody they could find about my father. And one of those they interviewed was the student who had re, who had succeeded my father as the editorial editor of the college newspaper the michigan daily his name was morton mintz and when i saw that piece of paper in the in the fbi files it really floored me because i had worked with morton mintz at the washington post i had been his editor briefly um in the investigative staff and i admired him greatly for his um sort of fearlessness and maverick ways in taking on uh, the powers that be, uh, whether they were the drug industry or the newspaper itself. And it sort of surprised me when I saw that he told the uh, military investigators that my father should not be trusted. He he didn't want him to be uh, an officer in the American military. And it was a very strong denunciation of my dad. And so uh, Morton Mintz was 95 years old when I read that, and he was still alive.
2: He was still alive, and so you went to talk to him. What did he say?
3: You know, I found Morton Mintz uh, in Washington, and he told me that he didn't have a strong memory of it, but that it was the biggest shame of his life. And he doesn't know quite why he did it, except for the strong uh, sort of sentiments of that time during the war and the fervor against uh, the Communist Party. So I felt Badly that he said that. He was 95. I didn't want him to, to uh, you know, go to his grave with this remorse because I told him that my father was a very forgiving person. Those were difficult times. And, uh, you know, I didn't want him to feel that remorse about it. So we had a long discussion, but it was a really difficult moment for him and for me.
2: And when your father was before the committee and the committee asked him the famous question, Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? your father pled the fifth. Uh, explain what that meant and how it worked.
3: Well, pleading the fifth meant that you did not have to testify against yourself. The committee um, interpreted anyone who took the fifth to mean that they were guilty and that, the, you know, that was simply an expression of guilt. Uh, my father took the Fifth Amendment because he didn't want to have to answer questions about anyone else. He was not going to testify against any of the people that were also in the Communist Party. He had already been fired from his job. They couldn't do anything more to him um, in terms of that, but he was not going to, to do the bidding of this committee, which really only wanted people to confess and be contrite and ask for uh, forgiveness. And my father was not about to do any of that.
2: You know, decades later, young people like I used to be went back over this history of people who pled the fifth. And we asked why the Communist Party members didn't explain themselves to the public when they had the chance. Why didn't they testify something like I joined the communist party because I wanted to support workers organizing the CIO because I wanted to work with black people who were fighting for equality and because I wanted to join the fight against fascism in Spain and in Europe. Wouldn't that have been a lot better than answering the question I refuse to answer on the grounds that it might incriminate me?
3: That's a very uh, interesting argument. And of course, those are the reasons that most of them joined the Communist Party, and they're, they're very noble, idealistic reasons. What happened was, in the late 1940s, many people did say, arg- make those arguments, including the Hollywood Ten, and they, they sort of stood behind the, their First Amendment freedom of speech rights. That led them to, to prison. They were imprisoned because the First Amendment did not protect them.
2: And there's, there's one more thing. The rules of the committee were that if you answered one question, you had to answer all the questions. Exactly.
3: That's that's the point. And that's what people like my father would not do, because that meant they would have to answer questions about other people and become informants, essentially, for this committee.
2: Last question I want to ask about the New York Times review of your book. Uh, the reviewer, Kevin Baker, concluded, for all of Marinus's research... A mystery remains at the heart of a good American family. Just what were his parents, especially his father, doing in the Communist Party in the first place? The book gives us little insight into how this great American spirit ended up stuffing himself into a closet of dreary Russian dogma. The book review did print several several rebuttals uh, in their letters column. Nothing from you. I wonder if you have any comment.
3: Well, of course I do. I mean, you know, uh, as the author, you know, I I tend not to respond to reviews. I let them stand on their own. In this case, it was an overwhelmingly positive review, with a conclusion at the end or an ending that I disagreed with. I think it was readily apparent why my father was attracted to the Communist Party, why my parents were. It had to do with uh, the the Great Depression and a belief that capitalism had failed with the r- rampant racism in the United States and with the rise of fascism and Nazism in Europe. I think all of those factors, along with the labor movement, the strong labor movement in Michigan, where where they were uh, college students, all of those factors led them toward that idealistic, if somewhat naive, uh, place.
2: One last thing. Your father was fired from his job and uh, blacklisted, where did he end up?
3: He was fired from the Detroit Times as soon as the informant named his name. For five years, our family bounced around to New York and Cleveland and back to Detroit and Ann Arbor and a small town in Michigan, I mean in Iowa, a small town in Iowa. But he finally, in 1957, after five years in the wilderness, got hired by the Capitol Times in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, It was a progressive newspaper that had made its name Fighting Joe McCarthy, the symbol of that Red Scare era. McCarthy had just died when we got to Madison, and in many ways that job in that city saved our family.
2: And where are you right now?
3: I'm in Madison, Wisconsin, um, where I went to high school and, and university, and my wife and I are both from here, and we have a summer house here.
2: David Marinus His new book is A Good American Family, The Red Scare and My Father. David, thanks for this book, and thanks for talking with us today.
3: Thank you so much, John. It was great talking with you.
2: You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com. And you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.
1: Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona.